Have you ever been stuck before? I mean, like, really, really stuck. I travel a little bit, and uh, my wife and I were traveling on this big 747, and we had a connecting flight in Dallas. So this first plane, humongous plane. We get to Dallas, and they always give you, like, either three hours in between your connecting flights or three minutes. This one felt like three minutes, and so we're racing to the other plane, and they never allow you to come in on a gate, and then you fly out at the gate right next door. It's never like you've, you come in at gate 11, 811, and you leave at 812. It's never that way. It's always like you come in at 811, and you got to go find, like, gate Z199. Like, you're running through the airport. you got your bags with you, your carry-ons that you wish you would have checked in, and, uh, but you had too big of, sh- you know, a little shampoo and all that stuff. So you're, you're racing through the airport, stumbling onto that stupid moving sidewalk where nobody's moving. They're just all standing there blocking your way. Like, they don't know to stand to the right if you're not going to walk, people. Standing there like, I don't know what they're doing, like balancing their checkbooks. And you're running through like, excuse me, excuse me, got to catch a plane. And you're running, racing. I always feel sorry for people ra- racing through the airport because I can empathize. I've been there. And they're racing through the airport, yelling at their spouse, like, come on. And kids are crying. It's supposed to be like family vacation, right? (laughs) Nobody's having a good time. I'm an encourager, so I've learned to encourage them. Like, when they're running by, I stop. I'm like, you can make it. (laughs) God is with you. You can make it. And it's difficult because when I, when I speed walk, that's running for Diana. I take such long strides. It's like this. And she's got four steps for every one of mine. And. It's difficult. Well, we make it just in time, like barely make it for the plane. And this, new, this other plane is so tiny, like it's going on a shorter flight. I step in. I can't even stand up straight. It's like I'm, I'm like this, hunched over in the plane, like walking through. Hey, how's it going? Like, what is this, a Hobbit plane? Is this Air, Hobbit Airways? Are we going to the Shire? What's going on? So I can't even stand up straight because it's so tiny and apparently... They only think short people are going to ride short flights. But, but I, we sit down, and we put all our bags away. And, and then it hits me. I've got to go to the bathroom. And I didn't have any time to go to the bathroom when we were running through the airport because I was running like a madman. But we're here now. There's not really enough time. We're about to take off. And so in my mind, I'm thinking I have one moment because otherwise you've got to wait for like 20 minutes for you to reach altitude. And I didn't want to wait that long. So I quickly undid my seatbelt. I said, I'll be right back run to the bathroom, which there's only one at the very back of this tiny plane, maybe 75 seats total. And, and I, go to, I, start, I start the process. And then the plane starts to move, which is difficult if you're standing up, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's shaking all over the place, the airplane. And, and then, and then I, I, I quickly realize I need to get back to my seat fast. And so I flush the, the, the thing, and then I wash my hands because you don't want to leave without that. It's gross. And then I reach for the door handle with a paper towel because that is also gross. And then, come on, where are all my germ-conscious people at? Wait, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm there, and I'm jiggling the handle, and the door won't open. The door's jammed. I'm stuck in an airplane bathroom, and the plane is gaining speed. Like, we're about to take off, and I know, I realize now I have one of two options. I, number one, need to just, I just sit down and have the scariest ride of my life (laughs) on an airplane toilet, or, or I pound my way out of this thing and ask for help. Which one do you think I picked? Option number two. So I pound on the door, but I I try to knock, like, you know, civilized at first, like, excuse me, excuse me, anybody else? Help. 
Nobody can hear me because the sound of the engine is way too loud. So I'm there, and I start to panic because we're now gaining speed, and we're, I'm, I'm feeling it, man. So I'm jiggling the door handle, and I start to pound. Help! Help me! Help! I'm stuck, which scares the back row. They're, they didn't know anybody was in there. Like, what's going on? It's a toilet terrorist. And, and then finally the lady, the only flight attendant on the entire plane, comes racing back there. She opens the door. She's like, you're supposed to be in your seat. And I'm like, well, duh. The door's broken. I've been trying to get out of here for five minutes. She's like, well, it's been doing that a lot lately. And, really, lady? Seriously, why didn't you put a little attention to that and fix that for me? About to fly 30,000 feet in the air on the toilet, ladies and gentlemen. Stuck in an airplane bathroom. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't think that I'm the only one who's ever been stuck in life. There's probably a lot of you that today that word really describes and depicts where you are in your life. You feel stuck. And if you're there, I want to help you today. We're going to look at God's word. He's going to help us. But to be honest, we talked last week about being overwhelmed. And if you don't deal with that, you're going to get to a place where you feel stuck. And in this story, Luke chapter 18, let's go to God's word. We, we see a story, and Jesus is approaching a city named Jericho. There's a blind man who was sitting where? Come on, say it out loud. By the roadside. What was he doing? He's begging. When he heard the crowd going by, so people are passing by. He asked what was happening. Verse 37, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he called out, Jesus, son of David, help, because I'm stuck. We don't know how long he had been begging on the side of the road, but he was left there probably for years. He's probably been at this same place for years begging, help me, I'm stuck, hearing other people pass him by. Why would Jesus... Bring this to our attention. I don't believe that it's to teach us how to beg. Could it be that Jesus has allowed this story in the Bible to teach us and to help us understand what it must feel like to be stuck on the side of the road? Have you ever been driving down the road, everything's going fine, you're listening to your favorite jam, and then all of a sudden, something breaks down in the car and you find yourself stuck on the side of the road? I remember all too well, the year was 1999, my wife and I, my daughter Hadassah and Angelo, who's still in this church today, he was probably 18 at that time, we're driving back from a pastor's conference in L.A., and then something happens to the car, breaks down, we have to pull over on Highway 5. Now, if you've ever driven on Highway 5, you know there's hours of, hours of nothingness, and this is before cell phones really worked, <laughs> on Highway 5, and so we didn't have any cell phone coverage. We're standing there stuck on the side of the road. Have my baby with me. It's hot. People are passing you by. When you're stuck, their cars just zoom by. Zoom, 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 and nobody's stopping. And then all of a sudden, I see a lady from our church in the middle of Highway 5. That's a six-hour drive from here to L.A. What are the chances, ladies and gentlemen, and I know it's her because I could tell her custom car, custom paint job, custom license plate, and she had big hair. <laughs> so she's driving by, and I'm, I can't believe it. I squint to, to read the license plate. Sure enough, it's the one. I'm like, look at God. 
Look at God. You guys were doubting. Look at God. He can make a way where there seems to be no way, even in the wilderness of Highway 5. Come on, somebody. She starts approaching him, waving, I'm waving, and she goes flying by. She doesn't stop. She doesn't turn around. I see her that next Sunday at church. I'm like, did you come up from L.A.? Yeah. Did you not see me on the side of the road? I didn't see you. You didn't see a six-foot-one tall, skinny white guy doing jumping jacks in the middle of the freeway? You didn't see that? Nope. We were stuck on the side of the road. I wonder if there's anybody here who knows what it feels like to be stalled in life. It's like an engine that's working too hard and one day it just stops. The definition of stalled means this. It's, it means that you stop making progress. Some of you here today know what that feels like. Your life was going fine and, and something happened. You've stalled on the freeway of life and you're not making progress. And here's, here's what makes it even more difficult is that the Cars and the lives of other people keep zooming past you, and the wind of their progress shakes you, your entire being. This man was stuck on the side of the road. He heard other people going by him, but nobody was stopping. He was stuck. I wonder what really causes us to feel stuck. Certainly, there are many reasons why people would feel stuck. Let me offer you three. There are so many people that feel like there's no way out. They feel like they're, they're stalled in life. But let me offer you this first one. is People feel stuck for a myriad of reasons. Number one, they lose vision. You lose vision. You'd be surprised how many people lose vision for their life. You say, well, Sean, what's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says that those who have no vision, where, where you lose vision, where there's no vision, People cast off restraint. People, another translation says, they they perish. They are unrestrained. There's nothing in their life that's keeping them focused. If you don't know God, and you don't know the plan of God for your life, and you don't know that God has a mission for you, and you don't understand all that, you're going to end up leading a life of aimlessly wandering, unfulfilled, insecure, and incomplete. And anybody who's incomplete ends up going on a mission to try and somehow find something or someone to complete them. They think, well, maybe if I just have more stuff in my life, I'll feel complete. And you're looking for your Jerry Maguire moment where you could look at somebody and say, you complete me. You very quickly realize that there's nobody on planet Earth that can complete you but God. And the only person who can fulfill a God-sized hole in your heart is God. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? You feel stuck on the side of the road, and they feel empty, they feel hollow, they feel devoid of any true meaning in life. It's frustrating to be stuck on the side of the road. It's frustrating when you're going down a path and everything is fine. And then it's so aggravating to have your entire life come to a screeching halt as you don't know what to do. You were headed in the right direction, and then you had an affair, and now you're stuck. You were headed in the right direction. Everything was going well, and you lost your job, and now you're stuck. You were headed down the road. Everything was great, and your spouse walked out on you, and now you're stuck. You're stuck on the side of the road. It's crazy because you can be stuck on the side of the road with a degree. 
You could be stuck on the side of the road and be cute. You could be stuck on the side of the road and as gifted as you are, as talented as you are, you can be stuck on the side of the road wondering and watching people as they pass you by. The man in our text, he could talk, he could hear, he just couldn't see. It's amazing how one area in your life can cause you to be stuck. Everything else is going fine. But I've just got this one area. And you've been stuck, some of us, for months and years. And you're, under, you're now coming to understand, I don't know if I'll ever come out of this. And you're watching people pass you by. So one reason we get stuck is because we lose vision. Another reason, write this down, is because we get hurt. We get hurt. Here's another story Jesus is telling in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus replied with a story and said, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Interestingly enough, the same area. But he was attacked by bandits, this guy. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and left him half dead. Where? Come on, say it out loud. On the side of the road. This man was hurt. You know what's crazy about the people who hurt you? Is that they're so broken themselves, they're so hurt themselves, they'll hurt you, leave you on the side of the road, and walk away like everything is fine. Leaving you bleeding and hemorrhaging and aching and battered and broken. And even as I say that, faces of, their faces are still coming to your mind. You can still hear the words that they spoke over you. You're still remembering like it was yesterday what they did to you. And ever since that moment, you have not been able to move on. You have stalled in life. You have been stuck on the side of the road ever since that moment. It's frustrating to understand the difference between the blind man and the beaten man. The blind man at least he was able to ask for help. But when you're hurt, we have no record of the hurt man asking for help. Some of you are so hurt, you don't even know how to ask for help. You're not in a small group. You're not in relationship with other people. So you don't even really have anybody that you can turn to. When you're hurt, you're stuck on the side of the road. Another reason is failure. We lose vision. We get hurt. Or there's a failure of some kind that happens in our life. We can point out, so many failures of people in the Bible. We can also most certainly point out failures in our own lives. But for the sake of this story, can I just bring out one example from the Scriptures? God's chosen people, the, the children of Israel in the Old Testament. <clears throat> They're in slavery for 400 years. They cry out to God and yell, help, I'm stuck. And God sends a deliverer named Moses and through a series of miraculous events, sets his people free. And he doesn't just say, I want to take you out of something. He says, I want to take you into something. I got a promise for you. I got a promised land for you. And they're so excited. And they make their way to the precipice of the promised land. They send in 10 spies and eight come back with a negative report. Eight of them infect the entire church, a million plus people. And they say, there's no way we could, this is crazy. This is insane. These giants are massive. I don't know what they're feeding them, corn-fed Canaanites, but we're not going to be able to do this. Abort. Abort mission. And they begin to grumble and complain, and they begin to fail, and they disobey God. And because of that, because of their disobedience to God's word, God says, fine, you can wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. How about that? 
So now the children of Israel, with the promise in front of them, they fail God over, and not just this time, over and over and over again. And they spent 40 years, a 40-year journey, which should have taken them two weeks to get to. It wasn't the distance between them and the promise that was the problem. It was the condition of their heart that was the problem. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 6, we read, The Israelites have traveled in the wilderness for how long? That's a long time, everybody. Forty years. I'm not even 40 years old yet. Forty years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt died, for they had disobeyed the Lord. Forty years. Instead of walking into the promises of God, they're stuck in the wilderness for 40 years wandering. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. 40 years of wallowing in failure. 40 years of going in circles. 40 years of not getting a, being able to get past it. 40 years of going around the same mountain time and time and time and time again. Do you know that sometimes when you're stuck, it takes you a while for you to get sick and tired of being stuck? you got to be there for a minute. Sometimes it, it takes you a month. Sometimes it takes you a year. Sometimes you're not, even, you're not even fully dissatisfied with your current position enough to even look at God. But God steps in in his grace and in his mercy. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And he goes on to say it was around a mountain named Mount Seir. In verse 2, watch this, watch this. And the Lord spoke unto me, this is Moses, and God said, You have compassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. You have come past this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. Can I speak this out over every single life in here? You feel stuck today? I'm here to tell you, you have gone around this mountain long enough. It is time for you to turn northward. Come on, turn and tell the person sitting next to you, you've gone around this mountain long enough. Come on, tell them, you've gone around this mountain long enough. It's time to move on, baby. It's time to move on. Let's turn to God. Come on, is there anybody in the room that's grateful that we have a God that we, still allows us to turn to him even when we've been stuck for years? Come on. Gone around this mountain too long. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, Sean, I, I know you're saying this, but I'm not really in a good place right now. It's okay, because neither were the Israelites when God called them. When God called the Israelites, they were in slavery. Listen, when God speaks to you, he doesn't speak to where you are. He speaks to the destiny inside of you and says, I'm going to get you to where I want you to go. God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, listen, you've gone around this mountain long enough. I want to come in and I want to break the cycle. I feel like God wants to break the cycle in somebody's life today. You've, it's been long enough. You've been arguing for long enough. You've been going around this mountain long enough. You've been in debt long enough. You've been depressed long enough. If you're still going around the same mountain that you were five years ago, you're circling. And you're stuck on the side of the road. But I've got some good news for you today. You're not stuck. You just stop moving. 
Oh, I feel like there's some people in this room that you're sick and tired of being stuck. How many are ready to step out into the abundant life that Jesus Christ came to give you? You don't want to be stuck on the side of the road watching people pass you by any longer. Jesus said this in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, the thief comes to kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life to the full. You might feel stuck on the side of the road. You might be stalled watching other people pass you by, but God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Come on, take Three seconds and clap your hands and say, thank God for the abundant life that he came to give you. Doesn't mean you won't have challenges. It doesn't mean that you won't have problems. It just means you refuse to have the same issues you did 10 years ago. <laughs> it's a process, isn't it? I remember when I was young, I had a problem remembering what three times three was. It was a difficult thing for me to remember my math equations, but I I learned it, I passed it, and I moved on. How ridiculous would it be for me, a man of my stature now, in my late 20s, early 30s, <laughs> to still be going around that same test? Listen to me. If you're still struggling with the same test you had five years ago, you are not developing. We live in a generation where our, this generation is so obsessed with being discovered on YouTube, Instagram, everybody wants to be discovered. You shouldn't be obsessed with being discovered. You ought to be obsessed with being developed. God wants to develop you. He wants to de develop character inside of you. He wants to develop maturity inside of you so you can handle where he's taking you. So many people that are stuck on the side of the road. I feel like there's some people that are sick and tired of being in a ditch and saying it's time to come out. You say, well, what happens? Well, when Jesus steps into the equation, it changes everything. Think about the three, the three stories we've had so far. To the blind man, Jesus steps in and brings healing and gives vision to a man who's never seen before. To the beaten man, he provides a guy named a good Samaritan who steps in, and this good Samaritan looks past racism, looks past prejudice, and loves him and heals him anyway. To the people of Israel, God steps up, and we have the people of Israel who failed God miserably. And what happens next is we have a God who says, I'm going to step into this next generation and take this place, to take this group of people where they want to go, and that's the promised land. My point is you don't have to stay where you are. Wherever you are stuck on the side of the road, you have a God who wants to take you out of. And anytime he takes you out of, he wants to take you into something else. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? God wants to get you unstuck. Turn and tell somebody. He wants to unstick you. How do we do this? How do we get unstuck? May I suggest three other things that can combat the first three things. People lose vision, they get hurt, and they fail. Let me tell you what God wants to do in your life. Number one, write this down. God wants to give you purpose. And I mean the type of purpose that would change you. The type of purpose that will impact your life in such a great way. In Psalm 30, 138, verse 8 says, The Lord, He will fulfill His purpose for my life. He's going to do it. He's going to fulfill His purpose for me. And then the motivation here is this. Your steadfast love, O Lord, it endures forever. How many are thankful for the love of the Lord that motivates God to fulfill His purpose in your life? God's love hasn't changed for you just because you've been stuck on the side of the road, just because you failed, just because you've been hurt. He, he knows where you are, and his love hasn't changed. But when you're stuck, 
When you don't have purpose, you waste time all day long. When you're, when you're stuck in life, there's something inside of you that you go from one relationship to the next relationship looking for purpose, but you're not finding it. It's empty. Without purpose, you make bad decisions. Why? Because without vision, people cast off restraint. It's like whatever, and there's nothing in your life to keep you focused. There's nothing in your life that keeps you pure. There's nothing in your life that's keeping you on track. But when you discover and understand that God made you on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose, I'm telling you what, it'll change your life. When you begin to understand that God has set you apart and there's something greater that God's called you to, you'll want to be involved again. You'll want to love again. You'll want to step out again. But you've got to get away from that mountain you've been circling. Because it keeps you circling forever and ever, wondering when is it ever going to end. It's like the merry-go-round of life. You're like, is this thing ever going to stop? I've seen this same thing over and over in my life. Here's why. People with purpose run with intentionality. People without purpose run aimlessly. You get to pick. Which one do you want to be? Do you want to run intentionally or wander aimlessly? Because here's what happens. When you don't have purpose in your life, you wake up and there's no reason to even get out of bed. There's no reason to get dressed. There's no reason to do your hair. You start to wonder, like, maybe I just need to fill my life with more relationships. Maybe I just need to fill my life with more stuff or more outings. I'm here to tell you, you don't need more outings. You need more vision. You need God's vision. You need God's purpose for your life. And that's why our growth track and our, and our dream team is so vitally important to the maturity and the development of who you are. Our growth track, it happens the first Sunday of every month, and it's four steps. Step one, two, three, and four. And what happens is, what we do is we go, and they're all classes, during the 10-15 service. At 10 o'clock, 10-15, my wife and I will be there. It starts in December. And we want to shake your hand and tell you about our church, because everybody needs a church. And then you go through the growth track and get on the dream team because you'll never understand what purpose even begins to feel like until you're making a difference in somebody else's life. Our dream team here, they, they're serving. They love you. They love what they do, the greeters, the parking, the kids, the media. Listen, they did that last week, and 275 people gave their life to Jesus Christ because of what our dream team did. Come on, let's clap our hands for the dream team. Some of you have been coming to church, but you're stuck. And God's saying, I want to give you purpose. I want to give you purpose. Write this down, number two. God wants you to forgive those who hurt you. God wants to, he wants to get you in a place where you forgive those who hurt you. Matthew chapter 18 is a story Jesus is telling about a boss and a guy under him. The guy under him owed him a ton of money. The guy under him begged him, please, Mass, please, don't, don't make me pay this. Forgive me, please. And the boss forgave him. Well, this guy who was just forgiven now walks around to another guy who owed him a little bit of money, puts him in a WWF chokehold and says, pay up. And then the master, the, the boss hears about it and this is what it said. We have in Matthew chapter 18, verse 32. Then the master called the servant in and said, You wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. Watch this, verse 35. Watch this, watch this. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from 
your heart. Forgiveness is not saying what they did was right. It was wrong. But some of you are waiting for an apology that will never come. And in the meantime, you're dying, suffocating on the side of the road, and you can't move past it because they hurt you too bad. The Bible says in another translation that he, he handed them over to the tormentors. Listen, some of you have been tormented for years because of unforgiveness. Here's what it means. Unforgiveness is not saying what they did was right. It's just refusing payment from them any longer. You're bringing their balance to zero. How can I do that? Because God did that for you. God did that for me. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He forgave us, washed us, cleansed us. Come on. And now he says, I want you to do this for somebody else. For some of you, you're not stuck in life because of, of how you've been hurt. You've been stuck because you're unwilling to forgive. When will your past have enough of your attention? When will it be enough? Because wherever you're giving your attention to, that's what you're giving your energy to. And some of you are keeping your past alive by rehearsing it over and over in your mind. And again, I know what they did was wrong. It was injustice, but you're talking about it. You're mulling it over. You're thinking about it. You're nursing it. Your past is trying to die, but you're keeping it on life support, and it's killing you. It's killing you. Have you ever seen a dog chasing its tail? Just over and over hours, they'll chase their tail. And then they just fall out. I have a friend, his dog, anytime a car would come by in the window, this dog would just go berserk. He'd bark, bark, bark. The car is long gone, and he's still barking. Dogs are weird. <laughs> but I wonder if there's some of us in the room that are barking about things that have since gone by. It's been a year. It's been five years. It's been 10 years. It's been 25 years. It's been 30, 50 years, and you're stifling and restricting your progress because you cannot get past what happened to you. Everything in life goes back to who hurts you. Everything in life goes back to you're wounded. And I'm just saying, why would you give somebody that much power over your life? You're not punishing them just because you're stuck. They've moved on. They don't even remember what they did, many of them. And you're stuck in life. And you're, you're sitting there making excuses like, I, I don't, don't ask for me for, to do anything. I don't love anybody now. I don't need anybody. I don't respect anybody. I don't open up to anybody. I don't want anybody. I am wounded all by myself. Leave me alone. And what happens is you begin to see yourself just like these boots stuck in cement. Everybody else is passing you by, and you are stuck on the side of the road. People are passing you growing, flourishing, getting involved in church, getting involved in ministry, getting involved, starting a business, and you're there stuck. I want to move, but I'm stuck. I want to open up, but I'm stuck. I want to love again, but I'm stuck. I want to serve, but I'm stuck. 
I want to grow, but I'm stuck. I want to get out, but I'm wounded. And I'm just telling you, yes, you may be wounded, but you don't have a right to be wounded anymore. Jesus Christ gave you the right to be healed in Jesus' name. Come on. And who the sun sets free, my Bible says, is free indeed. It's time to step out of what has been holding you for so long. The cement, the boots, the old lifestyle, all of the pain of your past, it's time for you to move on. You've come past this mountain long enough. Turn you northward in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why I need people in my life like a small group. That's why small groups are so important. Because I, I don't need some people in my life that are just gonna rehash where I've been. I need some people in my life that are gonna, that are gonna speak to me where I'm going. I need some people in my life that love me enough not to come to my pity party and stick their finger in my chest and say, suck it up, Sean. Come on. This is not who you are. God has a greater plan for you, and this is not where you're going to stay. God has greater things. Let's walk this way. We're moving, we're moving, we're moving. Come on. That comes from you releasing it. How do I forgive them? You say, God, I don't like what they did. It hurt me, but as unto you, I release them and forgive them in Jesus' name telling you what something happens inside of you you can get unstuck number three God wants you to take the next step he wants you to take the next step when you have experienced failure in your life failure is a real issue we all know what that feels like nobody wakes up saying I'm gonna fail today nobody says hey I want to be bitter Nobody says, I want, I want three divorces by the time I'm 35. I want to be hurt, broken, and alone when I grow up. Nobody has that on their bucket list. But what happens is we disobey God. We fail, and then we get stuck in this crazy cycle going around the same mountain over and over again. Listen, if you failed, which we all have, let failure be a comma in your life, not a period. Some of you have allowed it to be a full stop can't move on. You might have failed, but it's time for you to move on. You have come around this mountain long enough. Their mountain was called Mount Seir. Our mountain has a different name. Every one of us has a mountain that we've been circling. And depending on where we've been living, it has a different name. For some of us, our mountain is called compromise. We've been going around the same mountain over and over over again. Some of our mountains is called abusive behavior. Over and over again. Some of our mountains is called destructive decisions. Some of our mountains are called toxic relationships. To the point where you can't even enjoy a healthy relationship because you're not sure what that looks like. You're not comfortable if there's not yelling and abuse because that's not how you were raised. And some of you ladies are looking for a husband. And you look at this guy and you're telling your girlfriends, like, really, I see him more as, as a brother. He's more like a brother to me because he's too nice. And then you go out and find somebody who doesn't have a heart for God, treats you like trash, and you call that love. You would be surprised how many people in our church come to church and we're stuck. We worship God, but we're stuck. And we know the right things to say, don't we, church? How you doing today? Fine and you. Glory be to Jesus, let the hallelujahs roll. <laughs> Blessed and highly favored, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm not talking about what you're saying, I'm talking about where you're living. 
Are you stuck? Do you feel stuck? Because if you are stuck, there's really only one option. Turn to God. If there's been failure in your life, let that be a comma, not a period. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin. He didn't say that you have to pay for it. He didn't say that you have to earn it. He didn't say that you have to work for it. If we simply confess our sin, Jesus Christ himself will forgive you, cleanse you, wash you, restore you. He will get you back to the original place of honor. If we, then he. If we, then he. He's waiting for you to take your step. He wants to give you purpose. He wants you to forgive so you can be free. And then he wants you to take the next step. What's the next step? Some of you are like, Sean, what's the next step? God, would you just show me the next step? Here's what I found. Here's what I found. I found God only gives the next step to those who are willing to take the last one. What's the step? Where, where's the step? Why would God give you another step when you haven't done the last thing he told you to do? David said, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my pathway. Back then they had these lanterns. They didn't have big old mag lights and shining up the whole street. Little torch, little lantern. It would give them enough light to take one more step. Some of you here today, God's not going to show you five years down the road. He's just going to show you the next step. What is that? Join the church. Get in the growth track. Get in a small group. Open up forgive some of these things. I'm just telling you, you're going to experience freedom when you step out. It can happen. It happened for the blind man. It happened for the beaten man. It happened for the children of Israel. And it could happen for you. Get up. You've gone around this mountain long enough. We're turning to God today. And I believe that this is going to be a, a day of demarcation where you leave this place change, different than when you came in. It, it, you're not going to be stuck anymore. You're going to change the world. And although the enemy has tried to beat you up, hurt you, give you many reasons, and you even justify in your mind why you're stuck, you made a home where you're stuck, get ready to move because God wants you unstuck in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, if you believe that, can we clap our hands and say a good amen?